Amen, amen, and amen. We want to welcome you to the Central States Conference Virtual Camp Meeting 2020. We bring you greetings tonight from our conference president, Elder Roger Bernard and his wife, Ivona, our administrative vice president, Elder Christian Josiah and his wife, Karen, and our vice president of finance, Elder Tanya Anderson and her husband, Michael. I am Pastor Richard Palmer and my wife, we bring you greetings from the Calvary and Covenant Seventh-day Adventist churches in Davenport and Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And finally, I wanna bring you a very special greeting. This greeting comes right from the word of God himself. We bring you greetings from the heavenly host, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. For Jesus himself said, where two or more are gathered together in my name, there I will be in the midst of you. And I believe that Jesus has been in the midst. Yea, I believe that Jesus has covered this encampment from Sunday as we had a special word from Pastor Kimberly Bolden. And then on, on, on Monday, we heard from Pastor Marcus Lavu. And then last night, we heard from Pastor Jonathan Fields. Tonight, sit back and hold your seats as we are taken to the throne of God by the grace of Pastor Kelby McCautry, who comes to us straight from Denver, the Denver Park Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church. We want to welcome you, welcome you, and welcome you. We are excited about what God is doing here in Central States. And as we shift to our prayer focus, our prayer focus tonight is going to be on healing of families and broken relationships. With everything that's going on in our world today, we need to know that God is still in the healing business, that God still loves and takes care of families. So as we pause a moment just to pray, I invite you to pray with me as we pray for our conference and for our world. Father, in the name of Jesus, touch us one and all. Pour out your spirit, O oh God, and bring both a revival and an influx into our, into our church. Pour out your spirit and allow lives to be changed. There are those among us tonight, O oh God, some who will hear your word spoken for the very first time, and yet there are others who will hear your word tonight for the very last time. I pray, oh God, that your word would, would, would bring about a revival in us and, and a restoration within us that both those who were here for the first time and those who were here for the last time, that both together might be saved when your kingdom shall come. We pray, oh God, that the, the, the pastor Makachi would be touched from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. We pray for his family, his wife, and his children. And then, oh God, we pray that you will save him with the very same gospel that he shares with us tonight. We need a revival that we might learn and we might be more convicted to crave the heart of God. Do this for us tonight, we pray, and we shall give you all the praise, honor, and glory. For we ask these blessings in the name of Jesus. Let all of us together say amen and amen. We will be now be blessed with the first special music that will come to us from the United Central Seventh-day Adventist Church out in the state of Minnesota. Hear ye them, be blessed.
Amen. Amen. Wonderful selection. Wonderful selection. Um, we have now come to the time in our service um, for us to um, be a part of the giving process. Um, there are a few ways that we can return our giving. And remember, um, we can't do this ministry without you. Um, we ask that if you want to um, return a special gift, um, that you can go to www.centralstates or central-states.org. Again, that's go to www.central-states.org. Um, click on how to give and then click on the giving or online giving and you can return your giving that way. Uh, there's another way that you can give also. Um, you can go to adventistgiving.org. Again, that is adventistgiving.org or download the app Adventist Giving. Um, search for the Central States Conference Church and you can return your giving there. A third way that you can give is download the app, CS Conference. Uh, click on the giving again um, and choose Central States Conference from the list. Um, and then the fourth way, which is one that um, I use, um, is you go, you download the Cash App um, and you can give by going to dollar sign CSC3301. Again, that is CSC. Uh, dollar sign CSC3301 and you can return your giving there. And as I mentioned a moment ago, we cannot do this ministry without you. Let us pray. Loving Lord, our Father and our God, again, we thank you so much for what has taken place um, in this um, encampment already. Um, and we thank you for the gifts that we have received already. And we pray for the gifts that are on their way. Um, so we thank you again um, for what you're doing, what you're about to do, um, and what you have already done. In Jesus' name we pray that the people of God say amen and amen again. All right, good afternoon, good afternoon. Again, just so excited to be here at camp meeting, our virtual camp meeting. And today I have the tremendous privilege of introducing our speaker, having a dialogue with our speaker. Our speaker today is Pastor Kelby McCautry. How are you doing, Pastor McCautry? Doing All right. Good to see you. It's good to see you. Our connections go back to Oakwood University, where you were the USM president. <laughs> well, listen, just have a few questions to ask you, because I know you have a word from the Lord. Uh, first question I want to ask you, Pastor McCautry, tell us, where are you from? So I was privileged to be born in the big city of Berrien Springs, Michigan, um, back when we only had one stoplight. Um, but, you know, while I was born there in Berrien Springs. My dad was a minister as well. So we got a chance to move around through Allegheny East Conference. But I spent most of my time, most of my formative years there on the beautiful island of Bermuda. Oh, wonderful. And I, I remember your dad, powerful, powerful preacher, came to Orlando and preached some powerful messages. So um, you grew up in, in Bermuda, and then you matriculated through Oakwood University. 
And um, after Oakland University, we followed each other to Andrews University. And then what happened next? After Andrew, well, actually, while at Andrews, um, we got married, uh, married my beautiful wife, LaShawn. And then I guess, you know, kind of like Jonah, I, I, I kind of got a chip on my shoulder and I wanted to run away from ministry for a while because, you see, I always had this ideal that I was going to be this rich businessman <laughs> and I didn't want nothing to do with ministry. Um, but, you know, God has a sense of humor. And so he has a way of working things out. And um, I'll never forget one day my my grandmother had come to visit us. We were living there in West Palm Beach. And I was proudly showing her around and showing her the house and all that God had blessed us with. And I'll never forget, she looked at me and she said, is this not great Babylon we have built? <laughs> my, my, my. Almost, almost right after that, things just began to work out. Calls came in. And I had always told the Lord, I said, I'm never going to try to push a door open myself, but if you open a door, then I will willingly go through. So God has had his way in for the last 20 some years we've been doing this thing. Hey, praise the Lord. Um, just a few more before we go to our special music. Again, tell us about your family. You're married. How long have you been married to the beautiful LaShawn? Talk to us. Married to LaShawn now this August will be 22 years. God has blessed us to be together and we are blessed. You know, every good preacher has to have three sons. <laughs> three boys uh, our oldest is Kalen KJ he actually will be going off to college this fall and we have Dylan who's 17 and Jaden who is 15 uh, so got a, got a got a nice family God has blessed us yeah God has truly blessed you and uh, we got a taste of, of seeing your son play some basketball uh, which you um, he did very well very well I just want to say that and, and he gets that from his daddy he got <laughs> okay. Well, listen, every preacher has a favorite text. You got a text that uh, represents your family core. What, what's your text today? My text, actually, um, to be very honest with you, my, my very favorite text is 1 Kings 3 and verse 14. Uh, there God is speaking to Solomon. And I like it because he says to Solomon, if you will simply walk in my ways and keep my statues and my commandments as your father David did walk, then I will lengthen your days. And so I, I resonate with that text and God has been good, like I said, and as long as we are faithful to him, I believe that he will continue to bless us. Well, listen, it's so good to have you uh, here, my colleague, my friend for many years. It's wonderful to hear you preach again uh, the word of God. Well, listen, we're going to have a special selection from a major city, um, a major singer from a major city, and that's Cherise Lewis all the way from St. Louis. After that, you'll hear the word from God's manservant, Pastor Kelby McCautry.
on, put your hands together. God is truly amazing, and God is my all and all. I want to say thank you to my good friend, Reese, and also saw Sister Carla there playing the keys. I want to thank you so much for blessing us this evening and reminding us that God is truly amazing and that he is everything to us. We're going to go ahead and get right into the word of God this evening. We don't want to keep you too long tonight. And so if you have your Bibles, I know we're going to put it up on the screen. But we want to go to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Paul in chapter 12 gives us a word. And as we think about all the things that have been going on recently, when we think about what we have been witnessing, when we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 21, Paul writes these words, and I'm preaching here from the Living Bible. He says here, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. And some of the parts that seem weakest and least important are really the most necessary. Yes, we are especially glad to have some parts that seem rather odd. And we carefully protect from the eyes of others those parts that should not be seen. While of course the parts that may be seen do not require this special care. Paul then says, so God has put the body together in such a way that extra honor and care are given to those parts that might otherwise seem less important. This makes for happiness among the parts so that the parts have the same care for each other that they do for themselves. And then I like how he ends. He says in verse 26, if one part suffers, then all, I'm sorry, if one part suffers, all parts suffer with it. If one part suffers, then all parts suffer with it. This evening, as we come again together for this camp meeting experience with our theme of craving the heart of God, I am sure that like me for the past few weeks, you have either witnessed on television or you have seen right there in your city, the division that exists in our world today. It's unfortunate because that division not only exists in the world, but we also have seen remnants of that division, even in our church. Even up to as recently as this past weekend, was after the killing of George Floyd a few weeks ago, we still have seen the horrific killing and the suffering of both black and brown people, who sometimes in some cases are posing no actual physical threat to the police or to society. But with all of the suffering that we are experiencing, with all the things that we're going through, with all that we are feeling, the Apostle Paul reminds us that as God's children, no matter what our color is, that all of us are a part of the body. And because we are a part of the body, I like that part where he ends with, he says, and so if one part suffers, then every part suffers with it. I would ask you this evening to bow your heads with me as we consider the sermon entitled, Take a Knee. Take a Knee. Father in heaven, this is your time. And Lord, I am your servant. Speak, Lord, and we promise to listen. 
For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I got to tell you right from the outset that um, I was not actually slated to be the speaker for, for this evening. Um, I actually was, um, you know, just, just going to be a part of camp meeting like everyone else. But, but when uh, Pastor O'Shane Winter, when he was unable to speak, and the reason he was unable to speak, because God blessed he and his wife with a brand new baby girl. In fact, God not only blessed the Winter family, one pastoral family here in the Denver area, but he also blessed just recently, we've had two pastoral additions to our families because we have a brand new baby girl in the Winter family, and we also have a brand new baby girl in the Miller family. So we praise the Lord for, for those additions. But, but it was when Pastor O'Shane was unable to speak that uh, I got a call from administration. And, and it was kind of funny because uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, the members of administration uh, are very, very close to me. So we're very good friends. And usually when we speak to one another, especially when it's a private conversation, we don't address each other with titles and different things. We just use our first names. And so my phone rang and I saw that it was Elder Josiah. And so I picked up the phone and I said, hey, what's up, Chris? And he responded in a very professional tone and said, Elder McCautry, how are you today? Now, as soon as he said Elder McCautry, I knew something was up. But he went on and he, he said, Elder McCautry, you know, we, we have been praying about camp meeting. That's where he threw Elder Bernard and Elder Anderson under the bus along with him. He said, we, we've been praying about camp meeting. And, and as you know, Pastor Winters is, is unable to speak. And so we were just wondering if you would be willing to preach for camp meeting. For, for you younger preachers, I'm going to give you a word of advice. That was really just code for saying, Kelby, you preaching on Wednesday night for camp meeting. So get yourself together. But, but I, I just want to thank them for the opportunity to speak here this evening and for putting their confidence in me. Now, I don't know about you, but... I have been blessed over the last few nights here of this camp meeting experience. I'm sure that you have been blessed as well. I've been noticing in the chats that we've been having a good time together. And last night, my good buddy, Elder Fields, Elder Jonathan Fields, he, he reminded us that faith must be tested before it can be trusted. That's a good word right there. And then, then we were told by Pastor Kimberly, we were admonished that we have to keep on fighting, even if it seems that we have been deceived. And then, and then I want you to know, Pastor Marcus, he, he blessed my soul on Monday because he, he told us that Jesus actually practiced a theology of rebellion. And, and, and that kind of struck me because I want you to know it, it's because I'm trying to be more and more like Jesus every single day, that even though we were told that we have to wear business attire and we have to preach in business attire, I'm going to go ahead and, and take this jacket off right now. And, and just go ahead and get real comfortable. And y'all pray for me because I might get one of them phone calls again from administration that begins with Elder McCautry. We were, uh, you know what I'm saying. But anyhow, um, when, when we accepted the call to come back here, come back home to Central States, we were so excited to get here to Denver and we were looking for a place to live. And we arrived at finding a place here in Southeast Aurora, Colorado. I know some of y'all are thinking Aurora, kind of like Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Aurora? Well, I want you to know the answer is yes. Because when we got here, I did some driving around and you know got a chance to get close to different things and see what's around us. And there is a local high school here called the Aurora Central High School. And that particular high school, the Aurora Central High School, was actually featured in the New York Times a few years ago. 
And the reason they were featured is because there were some players on their high school football team that were being honored and recognized for something that they did. You must understand that when they did the interview, one of the players, he was interviewed and he made a very remarkable statement, something that, that, that lasted and it, and it stood with me because in, in response now to a question about racial inequality, he said these words, he said, you can't continue to slap people in the face and not expect them to stand up. That, that high school football team, they attained national notoriety because throughout that season, about 30 of them actually did the opposite of standing up. You see, in the face of so much injustice, in the face of police brutality, in the face of bigotry, with so much anger and so much vitriol going on all across America, simply because of the statement that Black lives matter. That high school football team, in their own way, I believe that they actually wanted to crave the heart of God. So, so when they witnessed racial injustice, when they saw discrimination, when they saw police brutality, rather than stand during the national anthem, the players of that team, all of them decided to take a knee. Why? Because sometimes to stand for justice, you have sometimes have to take a knee. Now, in case you didn't know it, and do a little bit of teaching here, you need to understand that when we sing the national anthem, we never sing more than the first verse of the national anthem. And the reason why is because in the third verse of that song, there is a controversial line in that song that some people actually might deem it as a racist remark. Because the line in that third verse simply says, no refuge can save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. We, we don't sing the words of that, of that verse. We, we, and we don't sing them because those words unmistakably express the idea that is very clear that for some people, even though this is America, the supposed land of the free and the home of the brave, for some people, they don't view everyone else as equal. But because of what was going on around them, the members of that football team, instead of standing, all of them decided to take a knee. Now that might not seem like a significant thing to some of us, but I want you to remember that here in the Denver area that many of the residents here, they have a little bit less melanin in their skin than I do. And so when the, the author of that article now, you, you should understand now that when he wrote that article about those players taking that knee, he said that he looked in the bleachers and he saw that there were some parents that clenched their teeth in the bleachers. There were others that clenched their fists in anger, but only a very few of them actually clapped their hands in support of their students. As many across the world, even now, are still seeking for fundamental changes to take place against systemic racism in our country. All of us have seen for these last few weeks, we have seen people of every hue, people of every color, people of every station in life. We've seen all of them and all of them have been doing the same thing in response to what has been going on. All of them have been taking a knee. You know, while it is unfortunate that some have even gone too far with the looting and the burning of buildings and the pillaging of different things, millions of other of individuals all across the world, all of these people now have been very, very clear about their protests because they have been protesting with their bodies, particularly with their knees 
after seeing with their very own eyes the, un, the killing of an unarmed black man. All who have, all of us who have, and those who will continue to protest by taking a knee, all of us have been inspired by the former quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, Colin Kaepernick. You might remember that Kaepernick, he, to protest against social injustice and to protest against racial inequality and to protest against police brutality that he decided initially to first sit down during the playing of the national anthem. But it was after a conversation that he had with a former army green beret that Kaepernick then changed his public protests from sitting to the act of taking a knee. Because the truth is this, while all of us as citizens of this great country, while all of us can respect a flag, if your focus is more on a flag than it is for a fellow human being, then we got a problem. But as a result of his public protests, Kaepernick, he has not played in the NFL since that time. And I want you to know that, that as a result of that, I, I have some questions about this inequity. It, it begs several questions of me. Because I'll be honest with you, with, with all that I have experienced in my life, with all that I have seen in my 47 years as a Black man here in America, and particularly, let me just say this very carefully, but, but particularly with the deafening silence that has been reposiously ringing in my ears from some of my Adventist friends who are a little bit lighter than me in this Denver area particularly, I have some questions about what has really been going on. And I want you to understand, I realize that this is not the time and this is not the place to debate and to discuss those questions. Because you see, the, real, the reality is that no matter how you feel about Kaepernick's protests, no matter how you feel about my right to publicly protest in the same way, no matter how you feel about the nature or the quality of my respect for this country and those who fought to protect it, none of those things are as important right now as is our understanding, as Paul puts it now, of our position or our place in the body of Jesus Christ. Well, you see, as Christians, regardless of whether or not you are a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, but as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, as a part of the body of Christ, whether you are a member of Central States Conference, a regional conference, or whether you are a member of another conference, I would say in my Wakanda tongue, a colonizer, you know what I'm saying, whether or not you're one of those, it really doesn't matter because all of us, as children of God, as followers, as followers of Jesus Christ, that means that whether you are a member of the Christian of any Christian denomination, whether you're a Seventh-day Adventist like me, or whether you're a Baptist, whether you're a Lutheran, whether you're whatever, but as fellow Christians, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he reminded us up there in verse 13, he started by saying now that whether you are Jew or Gentile, slave or free, but as followers of Jesus, all of us, are supposed to be one, one in the spirit, one in the Lord. And so although we may have differences in our preferences, although we may have different particulars about what we feel is essential in worship, as fellow Christians now, Paul reminds us that we are many members all of the same body because all of us are claiming to follow after the same Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, because we are many members of the same body, then that means that I cannot in good Christian conscience 
look down or think less of somebody else who might be different than me. But you see, if I'm indeed a Christian and not just a Christian in, in a nominal way, meaning just in name, but if I consider myself truly to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then that means I cannot sit back silently and watch as one part of the body suffers. Can't do that. Because even if somebody is suffering from one form of injustice or one form of discrimination or one form of inequality, I cannot sit back and casually assume that it is of no consequence to me. Why? Because we are many members of the same body. And that is why Paul proclaims there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that, that the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. That the head cannot say to the feet, I have no need of you. But on the contrary now, Paul tells us that counter to however some may feel privately, Paul tells us that because we are members of the same body, he says, watch this now. He says, special honor and recognition must be given to the members that appear to be weaker than the others. Paul admonishes us now as followers of Jesus Christ that no one should feel better than or bigger than somebody else or another part of the body. But he says now that the weaker parts of the body must be considered as indispensable. Indispensable. In other words, the, the weaker parts of the body, they, they are vital. They, they are essential. They, they are necessary or requisite. The weaker parts, they are obligatory or imperative. In other words, they are parts of the body that you cannot live without. That just simply means that every member of God's remnant church, whether you are red, yellow, black, or white, all of us have to decide today not to display disregard or disrespect for any other member of humanity. Why? Because remember, we are many members, many members of the same body. So as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we need to remember our call to unity. Unity, that's right, I said. Now remember, I didn't say uniformity, but our call to unity. You see, we've got to remember that, that Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 12, and he says that, that when one part of the body suffers, that all should suffer with it. Now, I just got to tell you that, that you know, I, I know that they may not be watching, but, but in case any of my, my other Adventist brothers who, who are a little bit lighter than me, in case they're watching, let me just quickly say one final thing to them. You see, I, I need you all to understand what Paul is actually saying right here. I need you to understand what he's saying, because what Paul is talking about here, about, about seeing other parts of the body as equal or as just as important or, or necessary for survival for the entire body, I need you to understand that doing that is not going to be something easy. You see, to move against the majority, to, to go contrary to the norm, would actually be akin to actually subjecting yourself and your white skin to unpopularity actually doing what Paul says. For some of you, that would actually mean now sacrificing your comfort. Doing what Paul says and, and seeing other people as equals, that would actually mean for you risking now seeing yourself actually grouped in and numbered along with those of us who have always been dehumanized, dejected, downtrodden, and just despised. So I need you to understand it's not going to be easy. But you see, when you take that risk, when you take that risk to see others as equals, 
then when you do that now, when you, when you take that risk, you understand now to see yourself as the neck and not as the knee. When you do that now, just like Jesus was despised, you will realize then that then that will help you to understand that the power and the privilege that you possess, you must now extend that power and that privilege to others who don't have that same power and privilege. So this call to unity. In fact, let me just talk real quickly to my good friend, Elder Ted Wilson, Mr. GC President. When we talk about unity, I need you to understand that unity cannot just be a one-time thing, sir. It can't just be a one-time thing where we come together and we smile and we take pictures and, and we show up for one rally, we show up for, for one thing, and then we go home thinking that everything's going to go back to normal. It cannot be that way. You see, when we talk about unity, that means you can't just write one letter or show up for one march or show up for one rally and then just think that that's it. But every single day for the rest of your life, you got to open up your eyes and see what you have consciously chosen to not see or unconsciously chosen not to see it either. So I'm finished now. I'm off my high horse for my, my brethren that don't look like me. In fact, I've been preaching long enough. In fact, for, for most of y'all, this is too long for a sermon for you anyway. So y'all can go ahead and bounce out this time because I'm about to, to wrap this thing up with what's called black preaching. And I don't want you to get uncomfortable because with black preaching, I might get a little bit too loud for you. But I want you to understand now that, that the unjust killings of black men and, and black women, people like George Floyd and People like Breonna Taylor, Terrence Crutcher, Walter Scott, Jamar Clark, Keith Lamont Scott, Philando Castillo, Samuel Du Bois, Alton Sterling, Tamir Rice, Michael Brown, Freddie Gray, Trevon, Trayvon Martin, Sandra Bland, Eric Garner, and even Rashard Brooks, or even all of the hundreds of others that are now being televised through social media. This is what we wake up to every day as African-Americans in this country. So I want you to understand that if the other parts of the body, parts that don't look exactly like me, but if, if the other parts of the body, if you only see my pain as, as an isolated incident, and, and then that pain, if you only see that that way, then, then my pain is merely exacerbated and it trivializes my humanity. But I want to suggest to you this evening, kind of like Al Sharpton said, that it's, it's time. It's time for us as Seventh-day Adventist Christians it's time for us as members of God's remnant church. It's time for us to start craving the heart of God and stop sitting silently in our churches and comfortably on our pews. It's time for us now to return to being socially conscious of what's going on around us in our communities and in our nation. It's time for us now to stop being so heavenly minded that we can be of no earthly good. It is time for us, friends, to take a knee. I want you to know that ever since I was a little boy, I've always liked American football. Got my little football here. I've always liked American football. And I'll be honest with you, I won't even bother right now to talk about my particular team. You know, even before, before we went live, they were still chastising me. But I want you to know, I, I'm not going to talk about my team. But suffice it to say, my, my team is not the New Orleans Saints, like Elder Roger Bernard, our president. I don't support the Saints. My team is not even the Philadelphia Eagles, even though daddy pastored there in Philadelphia and I, I was a resident of Philadelphia. I don't support the Eagles like, like Elder Palmer and, and like my good friend, Elder Josiah. I don't even support the San Francisco 49ers who Kaepernick used to play for. But I will admit that, that it's been a while. I'll admit it's been a while since I've really been able to cheer as a fan for my NFL team. You see, I'm a, I'm a supporter of the Dallas Cowboys. 
Now you can say what you want about my cowboys, but I'm just going to tell you in the words of a great preacher, we shall overcome someday. But nevertheless, despite my cowboys despicable display of, of what this game is called football over the last, I don't know, 20 plus years, despite the fact that we ain't won anything, I, I want to point out a few observations before we close from, from the game of football that will help to illustrate our point tonight. For you see, uh, Elder Josiah and Elder Fields, they, they weren't lying. And Elder, Elder Henry was telling you when, when we were back in the seminary, yeah, we, we used to play a lot of games together. Some of y'all probably say y'all should have been studying some more. Well, that's all right. We, we did our best. But, but my casual experiences with this game called football, they all took place back at Oakwood. We played flag football and, and there at Andrews. And, and I've even over the years had a chance to spend some time coaching my boys in various sports. And I want you to know that, that because of all these things, I have a little bit of experiential knowledge about the game of football. And I want you to understand now that, that what I've learned over the years is that in football, there are several opportunities to take a knee. You see, the first opportunity in football comes when what is called the opening kick. The opening kick comes, and, and the opening kick is when the ball is put into play by, by the opposing team, and they kick the ball to the other team in order to put the ball in play. And, and this is what happens. This is similar to a kick return after a punt. And, and I want you to understand that, that, that a punt comes now, uh, or, or a kick return comes after a, a, a touchdown, or, or, or a punt comes after a failed attempt to make a first down. A first down, in case you don't know what I'm talking about, is, is a failed attempt to, 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 uh, to advance the ball at least 10 yards in four successive tries. I, I want you to bear with me now because somebody's husband or, or somebody's wife, somebody's brother or sister, somebody's boyfriend or girlfriend is going to thank me later that I have explained this game of football to you tonight so that they don't have to explain it to you when the NFL comes back on TV later on. So I need you to understand now that, that I'm teaching right here, but, but whether it's a kickoff, or whether it's a punt return, what happens now, a member of what is called the special teams, a member of that team is the one who attempts to catch the football. And if you've ever played any type of football, whether peewee football or whether professional football, you realize now that a kick is actually more difficult to judge than trying to catch an actual pass from the quarterback. And the reason this is because in attempting to return that kick football, you have to judge as that ball is coming at you through the air. And remember now that when that ball was kicked, it was kicked with the intention not for you to catch it or for you to be able to return it. And so the special teams receiver now has to very quickly at a split moment's notice has to make some decisions. He has to quickly decide whether or not to catch the ball and run with it or decide to take what is called a fair catch. The receiver has some options, and, and I want to just talk about those options. You see that first one, the, the fair catch. The fair catch is when, when the receiver now sees the ball coming and, and realizes now that he's not going to be able to do anything with it, or, or he's okay with where that ball is going to come down. So, so that receiver will actually take his arm and, and wave it above his helmet. He'll signal now to the other team, hey, 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 y'all, don't, don't worry about trying to tackle me right now. I'm good right where I am. Don't, don't worry about doing that because whatever this ball is doing in the air right now and, and whatever your defense is doing as they're quickly approaching me, I'm not going to try and run this ball back through, through your defense and risk myself getting tackled or, or risk myself fumbling the football. But, but where I am right now on the field, 
I think that this is good enough. This is a good enough starting position for my offense to start without there having to be any contact. That's a fair catch. And I want you to know that in football, a fair catch is actually seen as a move of protection. And it's actually a good move in football. But I want you to understand tonight that while a fair catch might be fine in football, in these days and times, in the days in which you and I live in, in this day and age, a fair catch is not really an option for those of us that are members of the Lord's team. You see, when we play for the Lord's team, we got to realize that there are individuals now who their eternal lives are depending upon our willingness and our advocacy to be willing to run with the football. And so in the Christian perspective, we cannot accept taking a fair catch, but we got to be willing to run with the ball. But I told you the receiver has some options. The first one was the fair catch. The other one, of course, the receiver can, can run with the ball. But the receiver in running with the ball will just get to however far he or she can get. But, but I want you to know that with those options, the receiver has one last option. You see, that receiver, as they see that ball being kicked, whether it's a punt or whether it's a kick, that receiver has one other option. And they see that that ball might be carrying a little bit further than they anticipated. That ball might be taking them back into the end zone. And when they go back into the end zone, that receiver can take what is called a knee. And when that receiver takes a knee, that's called a touchback. And a touchback, brothers and sisters, this allows the offensive team to now, without anybody doing anything else, it allows them to freely start on the 25-yard line. Come on now, I'm going somewhere with this. It allows you to start a little bit further into the game. And, and that receiver now makes that judgment call while the ball is in the air to decide, listen, if I catch this ball, will I be able to run to at least the 25-yard line or should I just go ahead and take a knee? Well, you see, if I take a knee now, I'll get that free advance and I won't have to worry about being stopped by their defense. You see, I like the option of the touchback. I like the option of the touchback because in the touchback, there are some parallels to this fight for justice. You see, I want you to think about it. What would it look like if the so-called weaker members of the team, if, if the members of society, the members of the team that, or the members of the church who, who are only seen from coming from the inner city or, or the wrong side of the tracks, what would it look like if my people got a 25-yard leg up? What would it look like if, if elected officials now in the world would consider redistricting and also consider now giving back 25% of our financial resources to actually go to the schools that actually need it rather than sending it to the people that already have enough money? What would it look like if we stopped as teachers teaching to the tests where for some students who are, it is culturally irrelevant because where they come from, there are no lawyers, there are no teachers, there are no doctors. In fact, there are hardly even any grocery stores where they come from. What would it look like even if our leaders in the church, our leaders in the general conference, what would it look like if you were more concerned about black people and our fight for racial equality? What would it look like if you were more concerned about black people than what's going on over there in Burundi? Ain't nobody worried about Burundi right now. You see, you got to stop worrying about Afghanistan, stop talking and writing us letters about cyclones, but rather what you should do is spend some time worrying about the sisters that, that have been called to God, called by God to preach this gospel message. You see, as a church, we got to stop being sexist, thinking that women cannot be ordained and have no place in leadership. What would it look like? 
What would it look like if we actually considered what outsiders thought about what we do? What would, what would it look like if we thought about even this next generation that looks and says, it makes absolutely no sense to have a black church and a white church on the same block? What would it look like? What would it look like? What would it look like if we actually did that and that way we would not appear separatists and would not appear racist? Want to know why our evangelistic numbers are down? I'll tell you very clearly why our evangelistic numbers are down. Because ain't nobody want to join a church that has problems with other people. That's why Paul says the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Paul reminds us that we are many members of the same body. One last point and I'll be done. You see, there, that, that receiver, I told you, has some options. They can take the fair catch. They can run with the ball. They can take that touchback. But usually you remember that in a football game, it usually happens towards the end of the game. And it's usually at the end of the game when, when the game has already been decided and there isn't much time left on the clock that the quarterback will come in and, and will hike the ball. And, and when he hikes the ball, the quarterback will immediately go down and take a knee. And, and when that quarterback takes a knee, he is indicating to everyone that that is the end of that play. This taking of a knee by the quarterback, this is actually used now as a strategic way to allow the clock to run down to the end of the game. This is a way for the team that is winning to preserve their, their win or to protect their victory. You see, taking a, net, taking a knee, I want you to understand, yes, it is an act of protest, but taking a knee is also a way of acknowledging that there are members of the team that have been mistreated and disrespected. And so if you identify yourself as a Christian, if you call yourself a part of the body of Christ, then I want you to know as we get ready to close that it's time to take a knee. You see, Jesus took a knee when he knelt down by that riverbed to fashion and form mankind. When Abraham sent his servant out there to find a wife for Isaac, the, the Bible says that, that God led him to a particular place. And, and when he got there and he laid eyes on Rebecca, God told him, you got the right one, baby. Uh-huh. And when he found the right one, the Bible says that the man realized that it was God who led him to the right place and to the right spot. And when he realized that, the Bible says that the man actually took a knee and worshiped God for his goodness and his mercy. When I keep reading, I get over in Exodus chapter four. And when God there sent Moses and Aaron to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. It was when the children of Israel learned that God had heard about their misery. He was concerned about what they were going through. When they learned that God was concerned, the Bible says that the people actually took a knee and worshiped God. When, 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 when Balaam's eyes were opened up, and that donkey had spoke to him. And, and when he realized now that that donkey was simply trying to save his sorry life, the Bible says that Balaam took a knee and worshiped God. When God told Gideon, listen, I know you don't think so, but you got too many soldiers. It was only the 300 that actually took a knee to drink the water that God said these were the ones past the Bolgian that were fit to keep on fighting. And even though the law was against him, I want you to know that my friend Daniel, he knelt down three times a day to tell God all about his problems. He took a knee. Even when you get over in the New Testament, you see God's children still taking a knee because when we get there, we realize that Peter now, he was out there sinking deep in the angry sea. Jesus reached out to save him. And when they got back in the boat, the Bible says that everybody in the boat took a knee and worshiped God and said to Jesus, truly thou art the son of God. 
You see, Peter had to take that knee because Peter realized now he had to do that in that boat because when he got back to another experience later on, he got to another experience and the Bible says that he got to a room and, and they said, your friend Dorcas, what Tabitha has done. Peter said, look, all y'all get up out of here. I need y'all to leave because I got to do something special. The Bible says that Peter took a knee. And after he prayed now, he turned to that dead body, looked at her dead in her eye and said to her, Tabitha, get up. And the Bible says that she opened her eyes and sat up. I need you to know that even over in Ephesians chapter three, this same Paul, he's in prison at this time. But Paul, when he's in prison, he's praying. He's having a prayer meeting. And the Bible says in Ephesians 3.14 that Paul says now, for this cause, I take a knee before the Father. What was his cause? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you what Paul's cause was. Paul's prayer was based on the fact of what he was talking about earlier in that chapter, up in verse 12, where he was talking about having confidence and having a boldness and having access to God as a divine monarch. And that was important because you might remember that back at that time, people only knelt down and bowed to other people of royalty or people of nobility. But what Paul is saying here, that what I'm going to do when I take this knee, I'm taking this knee as an act of defiance. I'm taking this knee as an act of protest. I'm taking this knee as an act of resistance. Paul is saying to the Romans, I ain't bothered to bow down to no other human beings. But Paul said, I'm going to take a knee as an act of protest because Paul remembered what God said, thou shalt have no other gods besides me. What Paul was saying to the Romans was, I'm taking this knee because I'm taking this knee because before the Father in heaven, because I need you to understand, y'all need to stop persecuting me. Y'all need to stop discriminating against me. Y'all need to stop going against me. In other words, what Paul is saying is, y'all got to take your knees off my neck. Is that his crucifixion? Even Jesus took a knee. The Bible says that when the weight of the cross got too much for him, that he fell down under the weight of the cross and, and Jesus actually took a knee. And then as you continue his story, you see that those Roman soldiers, they actually got together now and they fitted him with a crown of thorns. They placed a reed in his right hand. And then they did something very, very important to mock Jesus. They got down on their knees. They took a knee in front of Jesus and then they cried out with their mouths, hail him, the king of the Jews. They said that jokingly on their knees on that day. But I want you to know, friends, a day is coming soon where it ain't going to be no laughing matter. Ain't going to be no joking around about what's going on. For I need you to understand that sooner than you think, Jesus is about to show up and Jesus is about to come because Jesus is soon going to stand up in the courts of glory and say, enough is enough. In other words, Jesus is going to say like Al Sharpton, it's time. It is finished. Let he that is filthy be filthy still. Let he that is holy be holy still. And then I believe that Jesus is going to take off his robes of judgment. He's going to call over to the heavenly stable, to that white stallion. He's going to go... And when he calls that stallion, he's going to get up on that stallion. And when he gets up on that stallion, understand that the Bible says that because he does not want us to be confused between him and the Lone Ranger, that a part of his robe is going to open up. And we're going to see on his thigh where it says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then Jesus, my Jesus, is going to come riding down because he's coming in haste to come see about his people. He's coming down to see about me. And I believe that Jesus is so anxious to come and see about his people that he's not going to worry about if he has to knock over the Big Dipper or the Little Dipper. 
He's not going to worry about it. He has to push aside Pleiades. But Jesus is coming to see about his children. And when he comes riding down, I need you to understand now that the Bible tells us in a couple of different places. And I believe that God put it some different places because it's that important. And he didn't want us to miss it. And so when I read my Bible, I find it in Isaiah. I find it in Philippians. I find it over in, 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 in Romans. I find it even in Revelation when we learn that when Jesus finally cracks the skies, when Jesus busts through Orion, my Bible tells me that at that point, even if you don't like it now, at that point when Jesus shows up, even if you think that right now it sends the wrong message, Jesus says that's okay because on that day, y'all gonna learn today. Because when Jesus finally comes back, the Bible is clear that everybody, red, yellow, black, and white, all of us will finally have to take a knee. Because the Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. I like that part because remember, some people thought it was a joke and on their knees, they got down in front of Jesus at his crucifixion and mockingly cried out in jest, hail him, Jesus Christ, the king of the Jews. But when Jesus comes back to get his people, the Bible says that every eye will see him. And I like this, every tongue will have to confess and every knee shall bow. Understand that George Floyd, he could hardly breathe. He could hardly speak with that knee on his neck. Eric Gardner, with his last breath, cried out, I can't breathe. But on that day, I want you to know on that day, there won't be any more racial discrimination. On that day, there won't be any more police brutality. On that day, there won't be any more injustice. And I don't know about you, friends, but I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to that day when Jesus, as my quarterback, will call for us to hike the ball. And when we hike the ball, Jesus is going to take a knee. And when he goes down on that knee, it will signal now that he is going to run out the clock. And I believe that Jesus is going to go in the end zone and do a touchdown dance. And when he does that touchdown dance, it's going to signify the end of this mess called sin. And so until that day, until I see him face to face, until he bursts the eastern skies, until Jesus comes back, I, my brothers and sisters, am going to take a knee. Father in heaven. Lord, we thank you for letting us understand that it is important for us to take a knee before the Father. It's important for us to realize that while taking a knee, yes, it is an act of protest, but it also is a way of acknowledging that there are some members of the body that have been mistreated. And so we ask today, Lord, that as we wrap up this service tonight, that you would give us hearts more like yours. Do for us like you did for David, creating us a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within us so that we might teach other people your ways. Do that for us, Lord, and we'll be careful to give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you've been watching tonight, I don't know if the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you. But I want you to know that if God has been speaking to you, and if you have been blessed by what we call the foolishness of preaching, then I simply want you to go ahead and, and text that number you see on your screen right now. 913-214-2281.
text that number and, and, and cry out. Understand there's a private message. And, and when we get that text message or pastor in whatever area you're in, wherever part of the world you're in, you don't even have to be here in Denver, but, but wherever you are, somebody will reach out to you and will have a word of prayer of you. We will go down and take a knee together before the Father. I want you to do that because if you want to give your heart to God, if you want to be on God's scene, you got to realize like me that sometimes in order to stand for justice, we sometimes have to be willing to take a knee. Thank you guys for joining with us tonight. Thank you for, for praying along with us. God bless you, and we'll see you soon. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Take a knee. People know that we stand for something if we take a knee for something. I'm so grateful for those words. Uh, we have our announcements uh, this evening, and we want you to hear those announcements uh, so that you'll be prepared for whatever we need for you to do as a church. Uh, if you want to give your life to Christ, uh, or if you want to send a prayer request, uh, if you want to learn more about Christ and Jesus, we have a text that you can text to on your phone. The number is 913-214-2281. That number is 913-214-2281. And if you have a request from the church, uh, wanting to become a part of the church, want to uh, receive some information from the church, then we want to make sure that you uh, dial that number, uh, text that number so that you can get the information that you need. Uh, if you have any children uh, ages 12 and below, we're inviting them to our vacation Bible school services. Uh, each night that it starts from 6 p.m. to 9, 6 p.m. at night, it also starts at 9 a.m. in the morning. So if you want to make sure your children are getting to uh, the bi biblical uh, uh, services for them, Vacation Bible School, we want to make sure that you uh, make sure that you get those uh, uh, six, at 6 p.m. and 12 p.m. that you would get those uh, people into the right place at the right time. We're inviting you to join us for the continuation of our virtual camp meeting 2020 at 7.30 p.m. Central States. Uh, time at the at uh, as Trevor Barnes from Northside Church in St. Louis, Missouri brings the message, uh, tells us uh, his message that evening. Uh, if you have a friend or family member, uh, we want to make sure that you bring that friend or family member uh, tomorrow uh, so that they can also be a part of the services. Please remember if you have uh, Spanish speaking friends, uh, the, the family. Uh, can come and be a part of the virtual camp meeting. So if you have Spanish-speaking friends or family that you would like to be a part of the virtual camp meeting, please uh, invite them uh, so that they can come out and have our experience. Our guest speaker, Pastor Benjamin Caballo. That's Pastor Benjamin Caballo from the Nevada-Utah Conference will continue breaking bread tomorrow night at 8, 8 a.m., Central Time, Central Standard Time. Please remember that the Sabbath afternoon at 4 p.m., that is this Sabbath, this afternoon, that afternoon at 4 p.m., Central Standard Time, our religious liberty leader, Elder Christian Josiah, will be hosting a discussion panel on race and justice, race and justice, and this is talk about the justice system in America, which will feature Mental, uh, mental health experts, law enforcement, religious leaders, activists, and more. 
We invite you to be a part of that healing of our country amidst all the tension we've just talked about today in our society. Let us bow our heads uh, for prayer. We're so thankful, Lord, for this sermon. Uh, we're, we're asking, Lord, that we would not be pacifists, but we'll be active in making sure we look out for the well-beings of other men and women, especially those of color. And we're asking, Lord, that you would help us to be bold enough to stand up and say what we have to say, to do what we have to do. We want to be just like Jesus. We want to make sure, Lord, that we are moved by you, that we do what you would have us to do, and that we make sure we protect and take care of those who are the so-called lesser people by your grace. We thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. Bless us this evening. Bring us back again tomorrow to hear your word. In Jesus' name and for his sake, we pray. Amen. Somebody you still want So